do you think um, we'll ever be at a point when the military can, will, it's in their best interest to help journalists do bilateral reporting? I've actually had a, a few, to cover both sides, have the military facilitate covering both sides. And, and there are a couple of questions like this, and, and I'd like to answer first if I could. I, I, I feel like the military did a, actually a very good job of trying to get us into villages to the extent possible. We, we went to a lot of uh, what are called shuras, the meetings with, with village elders and the military. Um, and they were very, very good about getting us out to these places. And they were by no means you know, pretty every time. These guys were, you knew there were bad guys sitting at, around drinking tea. And uh, they let the military know, and we recorded it, that they were not doing a great job in certain circumstances. Um, I wonder what your thoughts. Well, there's a, there's a geographical problem that happens. I mean, that's an example where you can get some kind of access. But of course, if you really want to cover the other side, you can't do it simultaneously. Like, you can't spend your morning embedded with the military and your afternoons traipsing around with the Mahdi army. Like, you really have to do them separate, separately, because you can't be two places at one time. And I also think in terms of those you know, radically different positions allowing you access, you have to be very, very separated. So there's never any question or assumption that you're, you're putting information back and forth. Did the Mahdi army have a, the, uh, the uh, Shia army in Iraq, did they have a good uh, embed program? <laughs> They, well, you know, the way that I ended up covering the Mahdi army uh, was that I'd, I'd, I'd spent nearly half a year doing a story on the psychiatric hospital in Baghdad, a uh, story on the women patients there, and their, what happened to them in a time of conflict when drugs couldn't get through. And thought, you know, it was a very uh, moving story. And it happened to be situated in Sadr City, uh, Muqtad al-Sadr's home base. And most of the orderlies and the people who worked at the hospital, not the doctors, but were Mahdi Army. And so when I spent time in Sadr City, I, at least I believed this to be true, but I felt that it kind of kept me safe because I would see people and they'd be like, oh, she's the one who cares about the patients in the hospital. And it sort of like grew from there. And uh, I mean, I'd, I'd like race around with these guys and of course I have to always be wearing my abaya, you know, and I'd be like, oh, this thing's hot and they're like, well, take your cameras off, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> but they knew that I was miles away from the, from the military. I wasn't then, you know, running across the street and waving at the soldiers, you know. You know, the, a lot of the, a lot of the. I'd be in an abaya so they'd think I was Iraqi anyway, sorry. <laughs> You know, if we're getting a lot of the, a lot of the video and the, and the reporting from our embedding with the U.S. military, the, the, only, uh, the only reporting or images or shots of what's happening from the other side are generally from, from those insurgents taking their own cell phone videos and putting them up online. Interestingly, when I was hit back in 2006, there was something that got online uh, a couple of months after I was hit where it was a claim that this was the explosion that hit us. Um, there was a video that they somehow got out there. This is the one that hit you know, into the 4th Infantry. This is with the MIT that I was with. This is where that guy, Woodruff guy, whatever, was hit. And then the military guys looked at that for the location of it, and absolutely not true, which is another thing. So we may have another side of the story that we're not really able to find out if it, how accurate or truthful it is. 
So we're really getting one side of accuracy, I think, 